Well, we've already had a, a full time, a special time, as we uh, always look forward to this time at the end of our uh, summer Sunday school uh, season and have a chance to see the children up here and uh, to see them proclaiming God's word and to see them uh, lifting up praise to God. Uh, just so encouraged to uh, see God's work in their lives. And although the focus is on all of our cute little children, uh, I am always stunned and amazed by our amazing youth and young adult helpers, right? Do, do you know what it takes to get teenage boys to lock arms and sing, whoa? <laughs> like, like we, we need to pause and recognize what a miracle is transpiring here. And it's their, in, yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's their enthusiasm and the role models that they are to our young people is, is one of the, I think, one of our treasures as a church. And um, I'm grateful for them, grateful what God is doing in all of their lives. Now, because they took the spotlight this morning, I want to talk to you about children. All, th all through the summer, we've been in a series called The Courage to Lead. And we've lo been looking at, um, looking through the life of Gideon at the different ways that God calls us to have courage in the different um, battles that we face. But what area of life do we need more courage than uh, to have uh, the courage to face the challenges of parenting? Uh, I read a, an article this week. Uh, it was uh, from the New York Times, and it was, um, it, it was kind of a rant about how respect is down among children and some of those other things, but I, I did appreciate the, uh, what it pointed to as the problem um, and just wanted to share a little bit about that with you. Uh, the article was entitled Kids Gone Wild by a woman by the name of Judith Warner. She cited a Harvard University child psychologist named Dan Kindlin, and he wrote this. Present-day parenting has to do with training boys and girls to compete in school or on the soccer field. But competition doesn't teach civility. He's not saying that competition is wrong or evil. He's just saying there are things that competition can't teach that we desperately need to teach to our children. Uh, we can't, through competition, teach uh, respect of other people. We can't teach how to put others first. Uh, and uh, we can teach uh, a lot of things, but we can't uh, lift up those qualities of, of virtue and civility. I think he's on to something. But then Judith Warner point, puts her finger on the expectations of parents and this statement stood out to me. She said, the pressure to do well is up while the demand to do good is down, way down. Hear what she's saying? That we are focusing on how to help our children do well, whether that be uh, in, in sports, in academics, in the different phases of their life. We're trying to help them to do well but in so doing, we seem to have lost track of how to help them do good, to, to be good people. And it is that, uh, that, that sense of a, of a loss of focus. I, I even, when I, when I hear those words, I think, yeah, I think she's on to something in terms of what's happening in 
parenting as a society. But when I look at where we're at, just, just look at what you hear in the news and about our culture in general. Are, have we not produced a culture of, and a generation of people who do well, have learned to compete, have been trained to succeed, but seem to have lost some of our civility along the way. That in our race to do well, we have somehow lost as a nation the ability to do good. This morning, I want to call you to lead your family with courage. And to do that, we need to do some things that the world is not telling us to do. Uh, I want to encourage you, in fact, three things that I believe are so countercultural that if you do not call upon God for his courage to do them, you probably won't. You probably won't step up to these. And these aren't three things that I've just kind of dreamed up out of, out of thin air. They, they, they're not original with me. They come straight from Scripture. And yet, as clear as they are in the Bible, they are, again, so countercultural chances are, if you do not call upon God and his help, you won't do them. So I, I want to I look at those this morning and to help you convince you that they're, they're not my ideas. I want you to um, open your Bibles if you have them, and I'm going to read uh, just a few verses, four verses from uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Now, the first countercultural thing that I want to encourage you to do as parents is to believe in the blessing of a child's obedience. It is uh, a time in our history when I don't think we, have, we, we believe in the blessing of a child's obedience anymore. We, we have been given all kinds of other messages. We believe in, uh, as a culture today, we believe in the blessing of a child's self-expression, the blessing of a child's self-fulfillment, we believe in the blessing of a child's self-advancement. Somewhere along the line, we stopped believing in the blessing of a child's obedience. Obedience, if you didn't know, is kind of passe today. It's, uh, it's not really on the, on the rise, and, and, and it, it's not frequently uh, lifted up or uh, applauded in, in parenting circles. But in verse 1, children are commanded to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The obedience of children is held up as something that is good and right and fitting. Some, some of Paul's readers may have thought, Paul's kind of old school on this. He's into obedience. And in case some of you were thinking that as well, what Paul does is he takes this thing that he said in application to children, he will say, by pointing to the Ten Commandments, this is the way God has always felt about the topic, frankly. 
he goes back to the, the Ten Commandments to show this has always been God's idea. He says, he quotes, honor your father and mother. And the idea in Scripture is that children are to obey their father and mother, but everyone is to honor their father and mother. That, that a young child and children living in their parents' homes, they are to learn the value of authority in their lives, following someone that God has placed over them in leadership, and, and that that is a valuable thing for children to learn. But the scripture then goes on to say that even though that's something that happens for young children, and as they grow, they grow in their capacity and their ability to make responsible decisions, that as a child grows, it is important as a part of their regular uh, growing and maturing process to, to themselves seek God's wisdom and, and seek to make wise choices, that a wise child, no matter what the age, will continue to honor their parents, to uh, have, have the respect to listen, to continue to value the input and uh, the example, even as you get to that stage, you're recognizing that parents are making a lot of sometimes foolish decisions and, and sometimes they aren't the role models that they ought to be, that there is still value in honoring uh, the parents that God has given you. Knowing the potential for abuse of authority, Scripture is careful to say that that obedience isn't unlimited. Notice what it says, Obey your parents in the Lord. Obedience in the Lord says this obedience that I'm supposed to have towards my parents isn't in a vacuum. I recognize there is someone even over my parents. There is a greater authority, that the Lord's authority is invoked as being above their authority. So I can obey my parents or, or honor my parents out of respect and gratefulness for the Lord, but I will never obey my parents uh, in a way that would sin against the Lord. That there's always that recognition that there is a greater, uh, a greater one to whom I have a, uh, a first allegiance. But none of this so far is new information to you, right? I don't know any parents who say, I kind of wish that my children would disobey me more. That, that's seldom the problem. It, I, it's not that... that, that Obedience is discounted altogether. I just don't think that we believe in the blessing of a child's obedience. I say that because when I look at culture, it's clear to me that we believe in the blessing of athletic achievement. We believe in the blessing of academic success. We believe in the blessing of volunteer activities, uh, a well-padded resume, work experience. We believe in the blessing of all of those things. I'm just not sure we're as convinced of the blessing of a child's obedience. I say that because when you look around, you recognize the passion and the diligence and the investment and the money that goes into seeking the blessing of achievement in sports and success in school and the resume and the volunteer and all of the rest of that. I see the energy that goes into those things and I wonder whether the same level of passion, enthusiasm, effort is being poured into the one thing that the Bible says 
is something that God promises to bring blessing through, a child's obedience. Do you believe in the blessing of your child's obedience? Do you believe that, that this is God offering and promising that there is blessing in that? I believe that honoring your parents comes with a promise of blessing for a very specific reason. Because it's never just about the relationship with the parents. It never, never ends there. It's never, it never stops there. Because it is from parents and through that relationship between a child and their parents that their, that child will develop and form their understanding and the, form patterns for how they will relate to the other authorities in their life. It will form the basis of how they will relate to a teacher someday, how they will relate to an employer someday, how they will relate to the different authorities in their life, and ultimately how they relate to God someday. So if a child learns to blow off their parents today, then one day they will learn to blow off God as well. If a child learns that their parents' words are mostly empty threats today, then one day they will come to believe that probably God's warnings are empty threats as well. They will, if they learn at a very young age that they are the center of the universe, then one day they will come to see all of life as something that should revolve around them. And God's role then should primarily be, I guess, to serve my needs and to do what I want him to do rather than understanding God at the center of all that there is in this life. There's a blessing in a child's obedience because it is here that so many of those foundational understandings of life and world and our relationship with uh, the God who created us, it, it's there that those things are formed. Have you had the courage to believe in the blessing of your child's obedience? And if you believe in that blessing, does that belief compel you to seek it, to pursue it with love and patience and self-control? So we've, we've looked at our first thing that's countercultural. It's countercultural today to believe in the blessing of a child's obedience. We need courage for that. But we also need the courage to pursue our children's blessing through instruction. Because many of you today would say, you know, I think I do believe in the blessing of a child's obedience. I, I, I really want that. I think that that's important. The problem is, you don't bring anything to the equation other than your expectations and obligations. And if that's where you're at, that can actually do more to crush a child than it could to help them to thrive. Because God doesn't want us to just heap our expectations on a child. He wants to have us seek our child's blessing, seek the blessing of obedience, but to do it, and he'll give us two very specific ways. And I want to look at the uh, the, the first of those, God calls us to pursue our children's blessing through instruction. Before we look at that, I want you to look at verse 4. Verse 4 warns us not to provoke our children to anger. What can happen when, when parents believe in the blessing of a child's obedience? 
they become obsessed with it, right? We become, uh, we'll do anything to get them to obey us. And parents can become so obsessed with it that uh, they can, by their expectations and obligations, actually ruin the child and, and provoke them to anger, cause a level of frustration that is uh, un, unhealthy and untenable. So verse 4 give two, gives two things that parents can do other than just heaping expectations and obligations on a child, two things that will help them not to be provoked to anger, not for the child to be overwhelmed with obligation and expectation. One of them is instruction. The verse says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Want to just take a moment to recognize who it's addressed to. It says, Fathers. This is not because God doesn't want mothers to, to uh, bring their children up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is because of that word, I believe, provoke to anger. In many families and in many households, it is the father more so than the mother who is apt to provoke the children to anger, to heap expectations and obligations on a child without doing the hard work of uh, providing the help and the grace that they need to lift those expectations. And so fathers are singled out. Fathers, I believe, are also singled out for a second reason, and that's because in Scripture, God consistently holds the father accountable, responsible for the spiritual well-being of the family. I read that word fathers, and I think, man, read the Bible to your children. Open God's word and read from the Scriptures. I read this and I think, guys, this is our responsibility to seek to instruct our children in the Lord. Not to just heap expectation, not to just expect that children of their own accord are are going to uh, have this magical desire to obey you because you're so great and spiritual. No, he's saying, you take the lead and you teach them. You share from them from God's word. I'd also like to note that this is not addressed to the Sunday school teachers. They have a role, but this isn't it. It's not addressed to the youth leaders. Youth leaders are wonderful and very helpful, but this is different. It's not even addressed to the pastor. I'll take my responsibility, but it's addressed to fathers to take this responsibility for the instruction uh, of, of their children and to take that responsibility seriously. I, I read those words and I think to myself, if the Bible is not important enough for, you, for your children to hear you reading it to them, if, you're, if it's not important enough for them to hear you discussing it with them, then how important really is it? What kind of message are they going to get about the value that you place on the scriptures in their lives. So our challenge is that. I'd like to read from you, read Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, because for me it's a beautiful picture of a setting where this is lived out. 
Deuteronomy 6 says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is a picture of a home where God's word is alive. I love the fact that it first says that these words shall be on your heart. You internalize them first. It's not Bible for kids. It's not Bible for little ones. It is first Bible for you. God's word for you in your life. You internalize it. You take it in. But then you diligently teach it. But even then, once you've diligently taught it, your work isn't done. You diligently teach it in some kind of formal setting, but then you don't stop. Then when you wake up, when you go down, when you're walking around, when you're in all kinds of informal settings and situations, you talk about it. Let it overflow. Let God's word get into you so much that it can't help but come out of you. And for your children to hear it coming out of you, inserting God into conversations, making conversations in your home more spiritual than they were yesterday. When you immerse your child in the knowledge of a God who is holy and powerful and good and wise and loving, it's not that it makes obedience automatic, but it makes it far more attractive. Because now it's not just you on the job. Now it's not just your commands. Now there is a sense that there is a holy God who has created me, who loves me, and who will one day hold me accountable. And and so obedience in that context becomes more natural. Even if sin is at work, even if, if the sinful nature in the heart of every human being does this against God and his word, the knowledge of God and the Knowledge that we receive from his word makes obedience more natural, more possible. So pursue your children's blessing through instruction. Don't just heap expectation on them. Don't just leave them with obligations that you aren't willing to step up to yourself. Unfortunately, at this point, God's word makes clear what your experience, what my experience has already shown us that sometimes words aren't enough. And this is where we doubly need God's courage uh, because uh, verse 4 doesn't just say to bring children up in the instruction of the Lord. I wish that's what it said. That would be far more comfortable for me. It, however, says bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That parents are commanded not just to instruct, but to discipline your children. It takes courage to discipline your children today. But again, this is Scripture giving us this as one of the key ways that we pursue the blessing of our child's obedience, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice in verse 4, discipline again is offered as one of the two alternatives to provoking your children to anger. That's counterintuitive, right? You're probably thinking, if I discipline my child, that will necessarily provoke them to anger. Because none of your children, or certainly none of my children, have ever woken up in the morning and say, 
I hope that my father is going to pursue my obedience today by lots of instruction and discipline. No, no child wakes up thinking that, right? And so you're thinking, Paul, if I were to do any of this thing, it would necessarily provoke my child to anger. You're, you would be right in saying there is something of a, of a battle where, where obedience uh, is concerned. But what this verse is saying is what I have experienced and what I have seen in many other families as well. Healthy discipline will actually diffuse anger in your home rather than inciting it. The reason for that is that many parents don't have the, the courage, frankly, to discipline their children. You're not getting much encouragement from the world to do it, and you've it's probably, in many people's instances, it's because you've seen it done either poorly or in anger. And you're thinking, I, I, I don't know much, but I know that what I, what I experienced or what I've seen, that can't be what God wants. And, and so the entire thing is just thrown out altogether. The problem is that the alternative is worse. The problem is that when biblical discipline is put aside, what I have seen again and again is that parents will adopt one of a number of unbiblical uh, alternatives which are far more damaging. Parents will say, I would never discipline my child. Instead, though, what they do is, well, one of the things they can do is forget the blessing of obedience forget the blessing of a child's obedience and just throw up their hands when they don't do what you tell them to. But at a certain point, most parents don't completely throw out the blessing of obedience altogether. They know that probably something I should do. But they put discipline over here, and so they instead yell at their children. They threaten their children. They get angry at their children. They shame their children. They heap guilt on their children. And the problem with those things, although they don't feel like discipline, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't touch my child. The problem is, while those things may have brought uh, a sense of uh, short-term benefit, wow, my child was so scared, they just stopped what they were doing. Short-term benefit, long-term damage. Short-term benefit, long-term damage. They, they grow up then with the shame and the guilt and, and the sense of fear and isolation that you've heaped on them, that we heap on them. And it is short-term benefit, long-term damage. Instead, the Bible says, put aside those unbiblical means of dealing with a child's disobedience and instead bring discipline into their lives in a way that would be uh, gracious and self-controlled and calm, but in reflection of the way that God disciplines us. Biblical discipline involves short-term pain, long-term benefits. I, I say that because of Hebrews 12.11. I want you to see very carefully what the verse says. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Nobody's asking for this. It's, it's painful. But later, 
it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Short-term pain, long-term benefits. Notice that it doesn't promise the fruit of righteousness for yelling at your child. It, it, doesn't, pro, it doesn't promise long-term benefits from putting a guilt trip on your child and shaming them into submission. doesn't do that. There's no promise from God. You, you do that. You bring your anger to bear on your child because of their disobedience. You're on your own. The, the blessing of, of a child's obedience, we're, a ch- parents are to pursue that blessing through instruction and discipline. And so often we toss the instruction and the discipline and instead we use fear, guilt, anger, shame, threats, and shouting. We're on our own. That's, that's, God's not in those things. So I want, wonder whether you have the courage to discipline your children. If you do, probably the first place to start is to talk to another parent who has had some experience in actually seeking to imitate God's discipline in, uh, in their own family. Because chances are, what the scripture is talking about here is a lot different than the punishment that you hear about in the world that has nothing to do with God and is never a reflection of his work in our lives. Chances are it's different. And so this morning we've got three things. And there are three things that no one in the world is going to encourage you to do. Nobody's going to encourage you to believe in the blessing of a child's obedience. In fact, we've said, most of the people around us are telling, them, telling us about other blessings that Scripture doesn't seem so, so big on. In a world where people are pushing on you the blessing of self-expression and self-fulfillment and self-advancement, would you pursue and believe in the blessing of your child's obedience? If you do, would you pursue it? Would you believe it, in, in, believe it enough to pursue it? Not just to heap expectation and obligations on your child, but to instruct them in the Lord and then to discipline them in the Lord. Through your instruction to so fill your home with the knowledge of God that he is lifted up as one who is great and righteous and wise and powerful and merciful. The children are naturally drawn towards him, want to know him. Who is this person that my dad seems to be so big on, that my parents seem to be so in love with? Who is this person? Who is this God? To create in them an appetite to know that God who will ultimately bring the blessing that we long to see in their lives. You won't do it on your own. You need the courage that only God can give. And so let's call on him for that courage now as we look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we call upon you because the work of raising children is so, so hard. We all feel our 
weakness in this area, and we all feel our need of your help. So, Father, we pray that you would forgive us for areas where we have fallen down. Forgive us for ways that we have failed to have the courage, frankly, to to do what your word says. We pray for wisdom to, to be able to take your word and to put it into practice in our lives. Many people here this morning have never heard these things, never seen these things lived out. And so I pray that you would give guidance. I pray that you would give your help. The reality is, Father, that we often struggle to make time for the Bible ourselves. Help us, Father, to make time for the Bible for our children for their sake, because they are so precious to us. And give us the courage to discipline our children when we would be tempted to instead use threats and shame and anger instead. We want to reflect your loving influence in our lives in the way that we relate to the children that you've entrusted to us. So give us, a, give us your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.